This episode could contain profanity. It's up to me, I guess. Your Saturday could contain a gist newsletter. To sign up for it, our once-a-week newsletter, go to slate.com slash gist news. It's Monday, December 17th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The president's lawyer, well, the one who has yet to plead guilty to helping his client commit crimes, so Rudy Giuliani, not Michael Cohen, was on a couple of the shows on Sunday. He likes the shows. He likes the stage. He tried some of his boffo material on Chris Wallace, who seemed not to understand that it was a joke. Yes, there are several unpaid parking tickets back in 1986, 87, that haven't been explained. Seriously. So, you know, we've got a, Seriously, unpaid parking tickets. Uh, no, no, no. Was a movie I, I, parking tickets. Parking tickets. Now, did the president have unprotected sex with parking tickets? What am I not getting about the parking tickets jibe? But Rudy, ever the vaudevillian, refined his patter a little bit when he got the call up to the network. Here he was on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. And they're going around with this, and you're talking about all these other investigations. I'm telling you, George, they're going to go try to look for unpaid parking tickets and see if they can uh, nail them for unpaid parking Well, as you know, the Southern District... Parking tickets! Parking tickets! Funny word, funny phrase, hard consonants. Parking, parking tickets. And if you didn't get it the first time... In a classic Harlequin-esque twist, he ends with the callback. Final question, Mueller almost done? He is done. <laughs> I don't know what else. I told you, no, the only thing left are parking tickets and jaywalking. Mary Giuliani, thanks. thanks for your time this morning. Bye. Thank you for the time. And Giuliani gets the light. The Sandman's coming with his cane in a second. Now, on this show a few months ago, Steve Kornacki asked a good question. What happened to America's mayor? How did the hero of post-9-11 New York, who guided us with undaunting resolve, how did he become this blithering open-miker, this desiccated grandpa monster? Well, sure, Giuliani was in his 50s on September 11th, 2001. He's 74 now. Time takes its toll. So does the effects of drink, if the reports are to be believed. But let's just focus on Occam's razor for a second. What changed might not have been so much Rudy as the quality of the argument that he was tasked with. Then, here was his assignment. Resolved. The strongest, richest cultural and financial capital of the strongest, richest country in the world could and would withstand an attack by a handful of extremists planned by a man in a cave. A city of 8 million, which had tragically lost two ten-thousandths of one percent of its population would rebound. That was the case he had to make then. He made it well. But now his remit is to argue this proposition, that President Trump's paying off of a porn star, which he denied and downplayed, was above board, insignificant, and made without a thought to the electoral consequences. And that is just the small slice of the Mueller investigation that Rudy Giuliani so inadequately defended this Sunday. 2001 Rudy could not have managed the case that 2018 Rudy has been assigned. Unfortunately for the president, 2018 Rudy is the only Rudy he has. The question is, has 2018 America gone so much further down the road of partisanship and factlessness that it won't matter. On the show today, 
I spiel about Ryan Zinke, who was gone in a blinky. But first, it's the segment you wanted to hear. Our resident scientific expert trains her years of Ivy League learning and field study on this question. Astrology, is it bullshit? Okay, yes, of course it's bullshit. But the thrill isn't the destination, it's the journey. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Are you like me? Do you have some pep in your step? Are you filled with vim and vigor? It's because Venus was in retrograde. We've left that tumultuous time and now Mercury is in retrograde. Are you like me? Are you on the cusp of Leo? Is your Scorpio rising? These things mean some things to some people, but the question is, are they bullshit? And I don't want to give away too much too soon, but I'm trending and strongly leaning towards yes. All of this stuff is bullshit, but let us subject it to the test. Let us see where science has weighed in and how science has weighed in on the subject of astrology. And joining me now is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of several works of acclaimed nonfiction and a Scorpio. Actually, I have no idea. What's your what's your birth month? So I'm actually on the Aries Taurus cusp, meaning oh, I'm the shoot. day they change. Yeah. When Ram turns to bull. I know. To I know. be horned in uh, animals, but still. <laughs> Maria Konnikova is here. She's the author of The Biggest Bluff. She plays Is That Bullshit with us. And we are grappling with a topic that I would be shocked if it weren't bullshit, but I think the journey may be fun. Let us talk about astrology. Where do you want to begin? Let's begin at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in general, astrology is a belief that planets affect us, and there are a lot of different parts to this. We have our ascendant sign. We have our sun sign. We have to know exactly when and where we were born in order to be able to build an accurate chart. The moon affects us. Basically, the, the planets affect us. The skies affect us mm -hmm. um, and have an influence on the types of people we are. So, you know, there are things like, for instance, you know, Mars is going to govern drive, courage, and daring. Venus is going to govern love and artistic endeavor, and on and on and on. And for every sign, you can find very specific things depending on a lot of information. And this has been around for thousands of years BCE um, from Chaldea, we think. 
What's Chaldea? Ancient civilization. Oh, there, there were the yeah. Chaldean people? The Chaldeans. Oh, good. Yes. How many yes. planets did they know about when they started inventing this? <laughs> you know, Think I'm, about that for a second. <laughs> what if they invented this whole thing without even knowing from Neptune on out? So so our zodiac, the zodiac we use today, has been around since around 700 BCE. Uh-huh. And within a few centuries of the first zodiac, the zodiac signs were actually pretty much the way they are now. Okay. So it really hasn't changed much from that point on. Our zodiac has been our zodiac for thousands of years. And Alexander the Great, when he conquered Greece, he brought astrology with him. And then from there, it spread to Rome. And it had kind of rise and fall um, in terms of when people believed in it. There was a huge rise when Rome was declining, when the Republic was falling. And apparently, Julius Caesar had his horoscope cast. So that did not prevent him from dying early. But, uh, but he tried. And there were others at the exact same time who thought that what he was doing was, sorry, guys who think that I use opprobrious terms, that what he was doing was bullshit, um, such as Lucretius and Cicero. They did not think astrology was scientific even back in that time. So the first real book of astrology that we have was in the second century AD, and that was Ptolemy's Tetrabiblos. Ptolemy had books on astronomy, on geography. And so for him, astrology was really serious. So he took it seriously enough to write a book about this. Um, And he basically said that um, we can make predictions based on the relative movements of the heavens, that there was a natural character and that the heavenly bodies could, quote, investigate the changes which they bring about in that which they surround. Mm -hmm. So the heavenly bodies are bringing about changes. Look, I don't, I don't, I don't discredit these guys. They were going on what they had. Absolutely. You know what? The moon affects the tide. Yep. Like, is it yep. more far fetched? Without the benefit exactly. of knowledge, is it more far fetched than what we know about the gut biome? I don't know. So, so this yeah. is this is interesting. And so, this was the science um, in quotes. That's what we knew before Isaac Newton. And Hippocrates, who, as we've talked about, Hippocrates, you know, he um, he wrote that. Quote, no physician should be entrusted with the treatment of disease who was ignorant of the science of astronomy. But then he went on to kind of talk about the fact that the moon could cause madness, you know, that basically a lot of things were caused by the moon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Kepler comes around and Kepler shows that the planets actually follow mathematical laws. But the funny thing is, just as science is becoming more precise and people like Kepler are figuring out, you know, that this isn't all just some al- alchemy, that there are actual laws and rules and the cosmos is operating according to them, people like Kepler himself are making a living from astrological predictions. So Kepler actually was able to survive because he cast horoscopes. Then people like Voltaire come around and say, this is bullshit. That's not B being opprobrious. Yeah. This yeah. was Voltaire. And then astrology kind of goes bye-bye for a long time. Um, Such was the power yes, of Voltaire? Yes, exactly. People wow. were like, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so we shouldn't do this. So it didn't really have a resurgence until the 1930s. And it ends up that before 1950, there weren't really any scientific studies of astrology. But since then, people have tried to figure out, you know, can we test? Because you actually can test some of these claims. Good. You know, because when someone says, you know, this sign is more like this. Yes. So one of the most, one of the things that um, is most easy to test is extroversion and introversion because because astrology has a prediction that 
odd signs and even signs are going to differ with respect Listen, to that. Maria, I came for the history. I love it. But this is what I'm here for. I this know. Is, I, I know. want the testing. I you want, want the correlation. Yeah. So the extroversion study, um, so the odd signs like Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, and Aquarius are supposed to be extroverted. Mm-hmm. And the even signs like Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, Pisces are introverted. Yeah. By the way, I did have to write these down. I don't know all my odd and even signs. I'm a Capricorn and I'm yeah. an extrovert. So I guess I'm an anti-Capricorn. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. But there's always an explanation. Well, you're a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> but your uh, Taurus is rising. Yeah. So this is true, and we yeah. can talk about that in one second. Yeah. So um, Hans Eysenck, who's one of the most famous personality psychologists of the 20th century, um, decided to to say, okay, you know, I'm a personality psychologist. Let's look at this stuff. Yeah. And he'd been instrumental in debunking a lot of Freud's claims. You know, he was big into figuring out what is going on. And so he ran a study where he asked people um, all these questions about introversion and extroversion and asked their sign and all of this. He found an effect. And then something clicked and he's like, wait, hold on. I'm actually kind of looking at, I'm priming them to think of their astrological sign as well. So why don't I also see whether they know anything about astrology? Mm -hmm. And so then there was another study that was done that was much bigger that also looked at people's knowledge of astrology. And it ends up that for people who knew nothing about astrology, the effect completely disappeared. So it was only people who actually knew what they were supposed to be like who exhibited these extroversion and introversion effects. And otherwise they didn't. So it actually shows something really, really interesting. Not that astrology is correct, but that if our self-perception actually is a really important force. So this is a really cool psychological finding, right? So if you believe in astrology and if you know certain things about your sign, you might believe that you're more likely to exhibit those things and you actually might end up exhibiting them more. So, So that's kind of... That's the historical one. And then there were a few reviews and studies that have been done since Isaac did his extroversion, introversion work. So in 1990, a guy named Richard Crow did one review of all the stuff that w- had been done before 1990, and he found that there was no correlation between astrology and the scientific method. And then there was a 2012 review that likewise found no correlation. And then there was a bunch of stuff on something that does seem to play a major role in astrology, which we've already talked about, called the Barnum effect. Oh, okay. So the Barnum effect is that basically when I give you a description of yourself, you're going to think that it's accurate if it's phrased correctly, whether or not it's applied to you. And this was first discovered by a college professor um, who demonstrated it by giving the exact same profile after asking all of his students to fill in a questionnaire. He then gave them a profile of them developed from that questionnaire. They had to rank how accurate it was. All of them thought it was remarkably accurate. And then he revealed that he gave them all the exact same profile that was not based from that data. So that actually seems to be pretty relevant here. And there have been a lot of studies that do things like give horoscopes out to people where you reverse everything that the ho- that the traditional horoscope would say. Like, for instance, you call them extroverted instead of introverted, and et cetera, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. You take your big five personality traits, and your canoes, <laughs> your and yeah. And it ends up that people think that uh, they are really descriptive of them as well. And there was one really interesting study that – I think kind of sums up why astrology is still such a strong such a strong thing in our society and I mean the Barnum effect is part of it you mm-hmm. know we like things like that 
But um, there was a study that looked at who consults astrologists and horoscopes the most. And it looked at a bunch of different uh, characteristics. And it found that the single most predictive variable was stress. So how stressed you are. Is how so people people consult astrologers and horoscopes when they're stressed, when there are things going on in their life, or when they're just in stressful positions in their life. So this study was actually done a while ago. It was done in 1982, and so it showed that people at that time, unmarried women, were the most likely to in 1982 yeah. um, to consult horoscopes, which makes a lot of sense because it was also much more stressful to be an unmarried be an female. Unmarried woman. So I think that that actually explains a lot of astrology's popularity that when you're stressed you want explanation and you want something that will give you some sort of predictive power that will give you a sense of control that will tell you what to expect that will tell you what you're supposed to do and you know what even if it's completely inaccurate if it gives you a path and goals and kind of gives you a path forward then that's as we've talked about that's a really strong effect and you know what maybe it's not a bad thing maybe no. instead of casting your lot with a charismatic autocratic leader just uh consult your horoscope exactly yeah exactly so if things aren't going well you can be like okay i can be hopeful because i know that these things are going to change right if things are going well it doesn't mean that things are going to start going poorly so it, i think it taps into a lot of our biases and a lot of the kind of need that we have to believe in something that will give us back a sense of control, especially when we're in times of our life when we lose that control. And also realize birth date isn't destiny because people with very similar birth dates can orchestrate the Tate LaBianco murders or sell 68 million records in Absolutely. And I will go back to one of the original tenets of astrology when you said that, which is that the stars incline, they don't compel. Holy cow. I know. Isn't that deep? Yeah. Yeah. I liked that one. Okay. So astrology... Yeah, it's bullshit, but we've learned some things along the way. Yeah. Astrology been thoroughly and totally debunked. Would you say that that's true? Yes. Can the reasons why we like astrology, though, are interesting yes. in terms of explaining uh, human beings? Absolutely. And I think that astrology tells us a lot about psychology, a lot about kind of the power of the human mind. Yes. Um, and a lot about kind of what we want to believe and why we want to believe it. So I think that there are lots of things there and I think it's an interesting you know I learned a lot when I was researching astrology even though I did not learn that astrology was true but like I said I'm a skeptical Aries Taurus cusp (laughs) do you think we're better off as a society for having astrology out there honestly no me too (laughs) because my producer Daniel you know I think the answer should be yes of course you know because it provides an outlet or it's fun or you could take it not seriously but you know what I think believing in the unfactual as factual, yeah. generally I think, not a great place I think to be. especially today when yep. we have, you know, we have so many things out there that are not factual that people believe in, opening up the door to say, well, you know, I just believe in it because I want to believe in it. I don't care if there's no evidence. I think that that's just a bad frame of mind to be in. Although, then again... If you believe astrology is bad for the reasons that you and I both articulated, it's not a huge and great endorsement of religion in general. Oh, yes. Believing but I, in things. Yes, that this you is prove. this is true. This is true. And I go into that in the last chapter of the confidence game oh, cool. where where I go into a religion and what might be potentially the ultimate con. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game and The Biggest Bluff. 
She has instructed us as to the ways and of astrology. She's given us our horoscope, and it turns out that she is both insightful, but can in times be dismissive. Thank you, Maria. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Now the spiel. Zinke's gone. And you know, I had so much on Zinke. I had so much material. I thought I'd be able to get to it someday. I talked a little bit about how he designed new flags for the interior department, point in his favor. Here's some things that weren't as great. Rode a horse to work. The horse's name was Tonto. His wife is the former Lolita Hand. His late mother, from the state of Montana, where Zinke is from, is said to have been named Jean Montana Harlow. Now back to Tonto for a second. Can you name a horse Tonto, given these sensitive times? Should Roy Rogers' horse be the only one to come with a trigger warning? There's one other American politician who rode a horse to work, actually, not even to work, to his job application in a way. He rode a horse to the ballot box. The job was senator, the man was Judge Roy Moore, and his horse was named Sassy. You know, I think this this might mean the trend of politicians riding a horse to work slash to get elected is done. It's officially done unless it's co-opted by some leftist firebrand. Let's say Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez rides a horse to her first day in the House of Representatives, though I think the only horse she's ridden is attached to a carousel in Flushing Meadows Park. Zinke's son's names are Conrad with a K and Wolfgang. Wolfgang Zinke, that is a Groucho Marx character name. Rufus T. Firefly, Otis B. Driftwood, Hugo Z. Hackenberg, Wolfgang Zinke. Are you sure you're speaking of Dr. Hugo Z. Hackenbush? No, I'm speaking of Wolfgang Zinke. He woke up one morning and shot a lion in his pajamas. What a lion was doing in his pajamas, Wolfgang Zinke will never know. But Wolfgang Zinke does know that under Department of Interior Regulations, it's perfectly fine to shoot a lion and bring back trophies. This from the Huffington Post. Stephen Chancellor, an Indiana coal executive who raised more than $1 million for President Trump's 2016 campaign, has obtained permits to import the heads and hides of at least three male lions from Africa since being tapped last year to advise Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke about the benefits of international hunting. Tell me the benefits and bring your lion heads while you do. I'm going to keep reading from this HuffPo article. The retroactive permits issued by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service apply to two lions Chancellor killed for sport in 2017 and a third he hunted in 2016. Well, what's that designation? That two were for sport and one was what? Self-defense? All three animals were killed in Zimbabwe, one of the African nations where the Trump administration lifted Obama-era bans regarding the importation of such animal parts. If Obama did it, I'm undoing it, including killing Simba. By the way, a retroactive permit. So the year's 2016. You're asking yourself, can I shoot this lion? The answer is no. Although, if Donald Trump gets elected, maybe you can import your lion head. Well, that's a chance that I will take. The Washington Post reported that Ryan Zinke faced four inspector general probes. He's faced more than a dozen investigations from the inspector general in his time in the office. 
The House Oversight and Government Reform Committee and the Office of Special Counsel has looked into his actions. One specific allegation that I enjoyed is that he flew a $12,000 charter flight at taxpayer expense to give a motivational talk to the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team. Seems to have worked. They made the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of existence. Well, we should also note that the Las Vegas Golden Knights are owned by a major Republican donor and one specific beneficiary of tens of thousands of the owner's dollars was Ryan Zinke. And also, the speech wasn't exactly to the hockey team. It was given in June of 2017 before the team existed. It was given to a bunch of 17 to 23-year-olds who were uh, developmental players. At the time, Heather Swift, the Department of Interior spokesperson, said that speaking to the Golden Knights developmental squad was, quote, a key audience of people we are trying to target to use our public lands. A inspector general report said that although Swift had stated to the media that the attendees were a key audience of the Department of Interior, Zinke never mentioned the Department of Interior or his role as secretary in his speech. It consisted mostly on his experience as a Navy SEAL. You know what? I got to say, to inspire the kids, you do probably want to emphasize the Navy SEAL stuff, not the time I banned overfishing of trout. But we got to say, from the horse to the wolf to the lions, Zinke has had more interaction with the fauna of this great nation than any politician since Teddy Roosevelt. And what was the message that official Washington gave in response well, I can't repeat it in its entirety. I'll leave out the first two words, but it ends with, and the horse you rode in on. And that's it for today's show. It was produced by Pierre Bienname, who's an earth sign, and Daniel Schrader, who's a water sign, and together they make mud! To quote Rodney Dangerfield, who's a classic Sagittarius, the archer, plenty of zingers, makes total sense. Maybe want to rethink your thesis, Kanakova. TJ Raphael is Slate's senior producer. She's a Gemini. She's in her first house, which means her Gemini-ness presents itself through her personal being as opposed to it being in her second house, which would mean that it would present itself through financial arrangements or her third house, which is Hufflepuff, as I understand it. And we do have a new Slate newsletter. It's nice. Once a week on Saturday. We'll tell you all the stuff that happened in the gist. I'll tell you a few more links that I don't get to on the show. Go to slate.com slash gist news. Also every Saturday, I'll answer a trivia question. You want, want the trivia question now? I'll give it to you. Julius Henry Marks is to Robert Bartle Cummings as Otis P. Driftwood is to who? Julius Henry Marks is to Robert Bartle Cummings as Otis P. Driftwood is to who? It's an analogy. Slate.com slash Just News. The Gist, I have to admit, I don't buy any of this astrology or Feng Shui or the Chinese Zodiac. I believe in one thing and one thing only, the fortunes on the bottom of Bazooka Joe comics. Like the one I got that said, you will be a hit at the high school dance. Got that a couple years ago. Turned out not to have been true, but I'm going to keep trying. Oomperu da Peru do Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>